Father, we just thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for uh, all that you're doing. Father, we thank you for the incredible work of the food bank. And Lord, the fact that people are able to be helped through this outreach and through this work. Father, we thank you that we find an example in Jesus who went about doing good. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to really be like the master, to be like Jesus in all that we do and all that we say and all that we think. And Father, we just pray that you bless the food bank. Lord, we need uh, our food bank to be blessed with uh, people uh, who have skills that they can bring to the operations of the food bank. Lord, we pray that you bless it with skills and with people. Father, that you bless it with volunteers to run the distribution centers. Father, with volunteers to uh, sort all the food. Father, we pray that your blessing would be upon uh, everyone who contributes. Lord, it's just incredible to see your hand of provision upon that. And uh, Father, we just pray that you would continue to fulfill your word over this ministry. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be attentive to what you would say. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of uh, today's message is What Fills Your Gaze. I already read the passage, but I'm going to read it again. So turn to Hebrews chapter 12 in your Bibles or on your electronic device, however you access your Bible these days. And uh, we're going to read these verses again. So Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through to 3. And it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And uh, these are incredible words that encourage us. There are so many things that we can learn from uh, what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us through these things today. But let's just think for a little second about what we're talking about here. What does it mean when we say what's filling your gaze? What does the word actually mean? Well, the dictionary says this, to gaze means to look steadily and intently, especially in admiration, surprise, or thought. And the noun uh, that we use as well, to ste uh, a steady, intent look. So it's something that we're focused on, something that is filling our eyes, if I can put it that way. And uh, what is filling your eyes? What is filling your gaze? There's all sorts of things that we can focus on that can uh, grab our attention. And there are three things which I want to highlight at the start of this message. Three things which I think if we begin to focus on them, they begin to take us away from our relationship with Jesus. The first one is this, money. You know, Ron talked a few weeks ago about Lot and how Lot began to pitch his tent towards Sodom. And it made me think about when his troubles began. And it was probably before this, but what, uh, what struck me was the moment where they stood on top of that mountain, and Abraham and Lot had to make a decision. Well, Abraham left Lot to make the decision. He says, well, you choose where you want to go. And Lot looked out over the green plains, and he said, I want to go over there. That looks pretty cool. That looks fun. I think our guys will be happy there. It was where the wealth was. 
and he was already looking for what was best. Money, money isn't the answer to everything, by the way. Just <laughs> let me throw that in. Judas's eyes were filled with money as well. We learn in the Scripture that he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And when he realized what he'd done, he took those 30 pieces of silver and he threw them back into the temple. And as he did that, as he did that, Scripture was fulfilled. Prophecy was fulfilled. It had already been uh, foretold that that was going to happen and that the money was going to get thrown back in. His heart was filled with remorse as he realized in that moment that he put money before Jesus. And if we fix our eyes on money and gaining wealth, then we're going to trip up, almost certainly. We need money to live, but it shouldn't be our focus. The second thing is this. Are your eyes filled with sex? Do you know, the whole world is talking about sex apart from the church. It grieves me sometimes that even in this church, and I'm challenged by it, that we've never talked about this. We talk about it in small groups and little conversations, and we all have our ideas and opinions probably, but it's something that the Bible is very clear about. God has an opinion on this, and it was God that invented sex to start with. But if we fix our eyes on that and it becomes the focus of our lives, then it becomes a problem. We read about a man called Joseph, Genesis chapter 37 through to 50, and how, I mean, Joseph must have been quite a handsome young man, uh, a bit like the speaker today. Uh, what are you laughing about? <laughs> and he's in the service of this man called Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife begins to take a shine to Joseph, and she tries her best to woo him. And Joseph, I mean, he, this guy had endured so much, and you just kind of think the devil must have been having a pop at him because he'd, he'd tried to get him through hardship and, and, and troubles and all that kind of stuff, and he'd still, through all that, had remained faithful to God. And here comes this little temptation uh, from the side, and uh, it was Potiphar's wife who starts coming on to him. It says in Genesis 39, 7, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. I think for a lot of guys, that might have been a hard one to resist. Matthew Henry, when he talks about this, says, we have a, a great need to make a covenant with our eyes, lest the eyes infect the heart. When lust has got power, decency and reputation and conscience are all sacrificed. Potiphar's wife showed that her heart was fully set to do evil. And as Matthew Henry is writing this, I'm pretty sure that he's familiar with Job's words, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. You know, it's not a male problem. Lust is not a male problem. It's a human problem. And it's not just to do with sex. It's to do with all sorts of things. It's when we desire after things that sometimes are maybe not the best thing for us. So it's not a male thing. It's a human thing. And so our eyes can be filled with money, with sex. It's hard to avoid these days if you switch on your television, look on the internet, all these types of things. The third thing and another area where we can trip up is the area of power. People want to have power. People want to have control. It's inbuilt to many of us. And we read about a story in Acts of a man named Simon. He's called Simon the Sorcerer. And uh, we read in Acts that he came to faith through Philip uh, witnessing to him. Uh, he was baptized and all these kind of things. 
However, I think there were still areas in his heart where there was corruption. And we read later on that Peter came along and he started to lay his hands on people and they were filled with the Spirit. And Simon saw this. And this is what he says. uh, When uh, Simon saw that the Spirit was given, this is Acts 8 and 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this power, this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Somebody who had had the acclaim of the people doing all his, his funny tricks and the things that he'd done, and he sees the real work of the Holy Spirit, and he wants to be part of it. Give me this power. And he tries to buy that. And there are some people today in our world who call themselves Christian who would try to sell it. Let me say, but you can't buy the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to the church to empower the church that we might be His witnesses. Not that we have power, not that we're able to do uh, great things and look important, but that the church might be built and established. The Bible, rather than encourage us to seek after power, encourages us to become the servant. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but not to use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Jesus a person filled with the power of the Spirit. The Bible says he had the Spirit without measure, filled with power, the incredible miracles that he'd done. And yet he became the servant of everybody. You know the story of the the foot washing where the disciples had gathered, it was the Last Supper, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. He became the servant. He gave us an example of how to live our lives. And in one of the commentaries on this verse, it says that the lust of power is the mother of heresies. If you've been around the church long enough, you will know that the lust for power is the mother of heresies. And things happen in church life when we begin to strive after power, when we begin to strive after significance, when we want our voice to be heard above other people's voices. And we become... Uh, we, we get to a dangerous place when our focus is on power and on control and all of these things. I'm going to rewind slightly and come back to where this sermon began. Um, it began. It began in a moment, and it was when I was away in Shetland. This is a, a picture of Loch Vaux. Uh, it was probably one of the the only lochs that had trees along the side of it. They've been intentionally planted. They've had government funding to do all these things. It was just such a peaceful place. And uh, you can guess what I was doing at Loch Yeah, The fishing rod was out, fly fishing, and just enjoying being in God's creation. And then I heard a noise. I'm going to play a sound for you. Listen for this sound. Oh, I've missed it. Maybe we can hear it now. Yeah, it's there. For those of you who are tuned into things like that, like me, I recognized immediately that there was the call of the red-throated diver. In America, they call it the loon. Um, and it's, it's just an incredible thing. 
And in that moment, the fishing rod went down. Did somebody say I was alone there? By just watching the laughing here. <laughs> just checking. Um, in that moment, the fishing rod went down and the camera came out the backpack with the long lens, crouched down and scanning uh, to see where these birds were. And they were on the loch. That's a picture of them there. I don't know if you can pick them out. So that's the male, that's the female, and that's the, the juvenile. And they're chasing, this, this is the male chasing off these uh, barnacle geese here. And there was something about that moment. Despite the midges, crouched down in this ground, looking through the long lens, watching these birds, taking more photographs than I could actually store my, my camera. And the moment was absolutely incredible. It was a precious, precious moment. To have your eyes filled with God's creation like this. A precious, precious moment. And in the moment, I thought, why do we desire after all these other things? Why do we run after things that don't fulfill us? Why do we run after money? Why do we have our eyes filled with things that are harmful for us? Why do we run after power and prestige? Why do we do all these things when in a moment like this, there's such a tremendous peace and a oneness? And yet, like all moments, the moments never last. The moments of peace and tranquility, those moments that we have with God, they don't last. Therefore, we need to do something about that. We need to make decisions about how we live our lives. I could live in that moment for the rest of my life, much to Mary's annoyance. <laughs> I really could. There's something incredible about being in a place like that. You know, in one sense, if I didn't have to uh, earn a living and do all the things that I did, I could just quite happily go and do that and just take pictures of wildlife and all that kind of stuff. Live in that moment. But here's the thing, even in that, God hasn't called us to live in these moments. God has called us to live in the world and to be witnesses for Him and not to take on the stuff that the world wants to put upon us. And our gaze can be filled with so many things. I'm going to fire through just a, a few. Our gaze can be filled with problems. Do you know it's a lot easier to be the critic than it is to be the chef? If you've ever watched MasterChef and the people are under pressure, sweat's pouring off them, and these guys are saying, five minutes, and they're going around tasting all their food at the end. Now, okay, these guys have probably done the hard graft as well, okay, which allows them to be the critic. But it's a lot easier to be a critic than it is to be the chef. It's a lot easier to criticize other people and the things that they're not doing, should be doing, not doing well enough, than it is to do it yourself. We can have our eyes filled with the problems. And I think Jesus wants us to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. One of the problems in the food bank just now is that we need board members. You're going to be part of the solution or part of the problem. You know, whether the glass is half full or half empty, what kind of person are you? What, what, how do you view things? How do you look at life? How do you look at the situations and the problems? Are you a glass half 
full person, the one on the right, a rear glass half empty person. Do you remember that Stan Laurel? Laurel and Hardy sketch where they, they have one drink and they have to share it between them after all this shenanigans. And he gives it to Stan first and he drinks the whole thing. And he says, why did you do that? He says, well, my half was on the bottom. <laughs> you seen that one? Is your glass half full or is it half empty? Or is it running over? We need to find the balance between a holy discontent and not despising the day of small things. We need to find that place of being able to say, I want more of what God has. I want to see God doing more. And yet, look at what God did the other day. This is incredible. You know, when you paint a room, you look at it. I mean, I look at my hallway just now. I think, this place needs painted. It is really grubby looking. But when you paint a room, it doesn't magically become painted itself, does it? There's a whole process of having to clear the room, which creates a guddle in the rest of the house. I hate that guddle. And it's usually the whole house. Why can it never just be one room? Why is the whole place in turmoil? Then you need to put down the painting sheets. The, the walls need prepared, cleaned. And then you have to go around and do all the cutting in. And then you need to get the, the roller out if you're into rollering like I am. And you have to do all of this stuff. And then you've got to do it in reverse. You've got to take all the tape off if you're really pernickety and like to put tape on the edges like me. Um, although I'm learning to cut in a bit better. Um, take the paint sheets off, get all the furniture back in, restore the room, and you need to sit down and you think, why couldn't it have just happened itself? <laughs> but it doesn't. It's a process. We see the problem. We find solutions. We need to work on those solutions. And it's a process. And it's exactly like that in church life. Problems, solutions, and in the middle, we have process. And in process, we have mess and all sorts of things going on. Sometimes we're in a guddle. In our lives, problem. I have a problem with. You put your name in there and whatever your problem is. And the solution, what is the solution? Jesus has the solution, by the way. But from getting from here to here, sometimes there can be a bit of stuff going on that creates turmoil in our lives going through that process of change, becoming like Jesus, being transformed through the renewing of our minds, as the Bible talks about. But what's your default position? What are your eyes fixed on? Are you the person who's always looking down all the time? It's like, I don't know if you saw that thing I put in Facebook, by the way, all the people going about texting and falling over things. You know, what's that all about? You can text while you're walking. Are you, are you always looking down all the time? You know, people who look down when they're walking, looking at their feet, not seeing where they're going, bumping into things. I've done that. I did that in Bulgaria. Walked into a glass door. <laughs> did, didn't see it coming. Then I did the same again in Stirling. At our first meeting, Robert, remember we went up to Stirling to find out about the Trussell Trust. Glass door again. Walked straight into it. Didn't see it coming. Are you the type of person who's always looking around at other people, comparing yourself to other people? I'm not as good as Bobby Sim. Bobby is really, really cool. I'm not as good as he is. He's so cool. He's great with computers, loves his media and his tech. Wish I had his tech, but I don't. But there you go, that's another story. Looking around at other people and comparing ourselves to other people, or are we looking up to Jesus 
who's the author of our salvation, the perfecter of it, the finisher of it, looking up to him, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And then we think about our thought life. What goes on inside of us? Are we the type of people who are always thinking the negative stuff? Or are we focusing on the positive stuff? Same type of idea. You know, I, I talked with my family this week about how I was so looking forward to Thursday. Thursday is my, my sermon prep day. I get in at the office. I try to avoid all the distractions. And I just love sitting down and getting ready for Sunday and prepping the sermon. Hopefully, God's had already been saying some creative things in my head so that I know what I'm doing come Thursday. But I love to be in that place. And I was excited about Thursday. And I woke up on Thursday morning with this horrible, horrible feeling inside of me. This horrible thought, and I tried to describe the thought to Mary, and I couldn't really describe it. I said it's, it was more like a picture. And I'll not go into all the details of that. But I woke up feeling absolutely horrible. And it took me, it took me until about 10 o'clock in the morning before it eventually lifted. I was sitting praying and asking God to, to really you know, lift this, whatever, whatever it was. This horrible, horrible, negative, negative thought that was already beginning to cut into my day and, and, and really cause destruction inside. Woke up with it. I really, I think it was something that the enemy was trying to do uh, to, to bring about destructive thoughts in my life. And I had to pray about it before I could really get ready for today. But it, it's possible to get fixated on our thoughts, the negative stuff that happens. And they become what dominates our thinking, negative thoughts, thoughts about other people, perhaps unforgiveness. All of these things, they can get into us and they can create an unrest within us where God wants to bring us peace. Thoughts in other people's lives. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, chapter 4 and 5, uh, chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. God wants to reveal himself to people. But there are things, ideas, and thoughts that get into people's heads that stop them from beginning to see Christ and the weapons of our warfare are to help us to take captive those thoughts, to bring strongholds down. It says in the New, uh, New Living, we capture every rebellious, uh, we capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Taking captive every thought. Imagine what it's like when your thoughts get out of control. What happens in here when our thoughts get out of control? I don't know if I've, uh, anybody's ever watched The Dark Knight Rises. For those who have not seen it, it's the, Bat what, the first Batman movie, the, the newer ones. And in this film, all the prisoners in Arkham get released. Imagine what it would be like if suddenly Berlini's doors opened and everybody got out and started going about the streets of Glasgow. Or if in Addywell or Shorts, the doors all magically opened and all the prisoners were able to walk free. Imagine what would happen if that was the case. Think about it. If in our minds, all of the thoughts, all of the negative stuff, the things that I woke up with on Thursday morning, imagine that being let loose in your mind and the chaos that that can cause. 
We're encouraged in Philippians 4, 8 to, to consider, to fix our minds on what is true and noble and right and pure, what is lovely and admirable, anything that is excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things, not to let our thoughts be dominated by other things. What's filling your gaze today? What is filling the eyes of your heart? What are you dwelling on today? Sometimes we look at things because we're curious, don't we? I was in uh, Croft Malloch Primary School and walking past the nursery, which had a, a fence next to it. And I heard all the kids on the other sh side shouting out, 13, 13, 13. And I thought, I wonder what's going on over there. And there was a wee hole in the fence. So I went up and I looked through the hole. And then I got poked in the eye and then I heard 14, 14, 14. <laughs> that was a joke, by the way. That didn't actually happen. Our eyes can be filled with so many things just because we're curious about what's happening. Curious to see, curious to know. You know, kids are like that, aren't they? They're they curious to understand everything. They get into everything. They play with things they shouldn't play with. They stick their hand in the fire. They do all of these crazy things because they're curious. And our gaze can be filled with so many things just because we're curious. We can be filled with so many things, so many things to occupy our gaze, our attention. Our business can be like that. You know, our workplace, God has called us to work, and our work can be a calling, but sometimes business can take over, and the business becomes the focus, and making money becomes the focus, and it can lose all sense of calling whatsoever. We just then begin to work to live rather than living to work, rather than it being a calling and somewhere where God has placed us to be a witness, it becomes about the business of making money. Sometimes it's the cares of this life that we focus on. God knows what we need. He knows all the time what we have need of. Our families, what our families need. And Jesus says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. We get so focused on all the stuff that we need for our family, and the things that we need to provide for. Even if it's just, if you're single, you're focused on what you need to do to keep house and home above you, and uh, all the things that you're doing, the things that you're caught up in. Focusing on your education and the things that you need to learn, and the exams that you need to pass, and the essays that you need to write, and it can become all-consuming. And we can then begin to crave after the things that we shouldn't have. Listen to what John says, 1 John 2, 16 to 17, for everything in the world the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Let me share a fact, and what I'm about to share holds true in every area of life, in every culture, in every time, in history, in every people. And it is this, lust is never satisfied. It always wants more. Wanting 
what we can never have and wanting what God knows isn't good for us and what he never planned for us to start with. However, are we focused on the Savior? What are we looking at today? If we read the Bible with a truly open heart and desire to hear what God wants to say, then we will not be able to escape the knowledge of our sin. The devil also is our accuser. He is an accuser of Christians across the world and will remind you of your sin as well. And he'll try to remind God about your sin. But we need to focus on a Savior today. You know, the Bible talks about confession, and basically confession, I've said this so many times, is agreeing with God's assessment of our sinful nature. But the Bible says that when we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then sometimes we realize, actually, God has forgiven me, but my eyes are still fixed on my sin. It's still there in me. You know, the Bible talks about how God has cast our sin into the sea of His forgetfulness. You know, as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our sin from us. But the problem sometimes is that we don't forget and that we allow it to dominate our thinking. We become fixated and focused on our sin, and we are unable to forgive ourselves. What are you focused on this morning? Are you focused on your sin, or are you focused on the Savior who took your sin upon Himself? And the Bible says that whoever believes in Him will not perish. That judgment of sin has already been dealt with in Jesus. What's filling your gaze The Bible encourages us to fix our eyes on Jesus. David the psalmist said this, My eyes are always on the Lord, for He rescues me from the traps of my enemies. The Psalms, which are like David's private journal, they give us an insight into his world, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And yet he keeps his eyes fixed on Jesus. One of my dad's favorite verses was this verse, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, as the King James talks about. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Even Jesus himself was fixed on the Father's will. Do you think naturally speaking, that he wanted to be betrayed by Judas for those 30 pieces of silver? Do you think he wanted to be taken as a prisoner, to be put on trial, to be wrongly accused, to be flogged, to be mocked, to be spat on, beaten, and then mocked and jeered as he carried his cross to the place of his impending death? And the Bible says in these verses that we've read that he endured the cross, the mocking the pain that caused him to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet we read in the Bible that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus saw what was to come in his own life. Yet despite the suffering that awaited him, he had his eyes fixed on his Father and on his will. 
He had his eyes fixed on you. And he had his eyes fixed on me. And he knew, he already saw this day, the people who know and love him across this world who are worshiping Jesus today, some of them in secret for fear of being caught and taken prisoner. Us with total freedom to come here and assemble and worship. And he encourages us to keep our eyes fixed on him. Not to be distracted by all the things that are in the world. The things which look so good. It's like that big jam donut. If you go into, you know, there's not a picture of it on the screen, Sam's, unfortunately. So you're looking for it there. It's like, jam donut? Where? <laughs> the cake. You go into Dobie's and you just have your eyes filled, you know, or wherever you like to go for your coffee. Uh, you people who like to go to garden centers, you know, I like to do that as well. And you see all these wonderful cakes and you're like, <gasps> which one will I have first? All the things that the world has to offer, they look so attractive, so tempting, and yet we know the conclusion. If we eat too many cakes, it's no good for us. We know that as a fact. We fill our body with things that's not good for it. Eventually, our body will just say, wait a minute, I've had enough here. Our minds, if we fill our minds with stuff, we'll get to the point where our brain goes, wait a minute, overload. Put the cooling fan on because I'm in overdrive here. You need to calm yourself. And all the things that can fill our lives. And John encourages us in 1 John 2, and it'll come up on the screen. He says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. These are strong words. What do we love? What are we focused on? What fills our gaze? For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, look at me, I'm like chocolate, I could eat myself, I'm that good. <laughs> what does it say? It doesn't come from God the Father, but from the world. And the Bible says that the world and its desires will pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Jesus has given us this promise that this life which we enjoy is not just for today, but it's for eternity. John also records Jesus' words in his prayer for the disciples. And he said this as he was praying, They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And if there's an encouragement today to focus on Jesus, Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Focus on Jesus. And we have the Bible where we can see that for ourselves and we can focus on it. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And today, when we leave this service, we go into a world and God has called us to go into that world to be a witness for Him. He's not called us to do it in our own strength, but to be filled with the Spirit in order to be His witnesses. The blueprint is just the same. And we need to live in this world. And in many ways, we're part of the world and its systems, but yet we remain confident of Jesus, of our knowledge that we are citizens 
not only of Scotland, if you're a nationalist, Great Britain, if you're not, or the world, if you're so inclined. I am a global citizen. But we're also a citizen of heaven. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. The Holy Spirit is kind of almost like our passport that guarantees us access into God's presence. Though we are in the world, we are not of the world. We don't adopt the world's systems. We don't allow our eyes to be fixed on what this world has to offer, but we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. I'm going to invite the band back up, and uh, we're going to pray. Let's just bow our heads for a little second, and uh, we're going to finish with our song and our closing offering. But let's just take a moment as we consider these things which have been said today. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all that he means to us. Father, we thank you for the incredible power that has been given to us in Jesus, the things which he wants to pour into our lives. Father, the things which you want to pour into our lives. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you because, Father, we want to be uh, the type of servants that you can trust. Father, the type of servants that you can invest in. Father, help us not to become obsessed with power, with money, with sex, with anything that can fill our gaze and fill our eyes. But Father, help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, the one who has endured all these things, that we might walk free. Father, that we might know what it is to be forgiven. Father, that we might know what it is to have a hope and a future. And Father, we just pray for this church as you take us out into this day and out into this week and all that it will hold. And Father, we pray for those who are fearful of what this week will hold. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen each one. Father, that you'd fill each one with your spirit and that you would give such a boldness and a confidence in you. Father, for those who are in difficult situations, it might even be financial. Father, we pray that you would make your power known in that situation. Father, that you would bring a release in that situation. Father, that you bring a breakthrough in that situation. Father, for those who are on holiday this weekend, Lord, we pray that you'd help them to rest and to be refreshed. And Father, for each of us, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to come into your presence every day and to fix our eyes on you at least once every day. But Father, throughout the day, we pray, help us to come back to you and to keep our eyes fixed on you, we ask in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.